my job doesn't finish when I leave the office. I mean, my sister yells at me all the time for how much, <laughs> you know, how much I'm working and that kind of thing. And so it's it's one of those things where, like, I, I'm very, very passionate about technology. If I wasn't, you know, working full time, I would still be doing what I'm doing now. You know what I mean? So it's, for me, it's, it's something it's about working with companies that are also passionate about you know, they're passionate about your passion, you know what I mean? That want to encourage you and nurture you and help you build, you know, and go out and, you know, do great things. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, they're a diddle. Spell A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part one in the two-part usetheforce.com series. In this episode, we're going to experience a day in the life, hour by hour, of Rude Erie, a Salesforce technical architect at Oplist International. So you can decide if this is a career you can see yourself doing. Rude works with different companies to create and design software systems that can help enable them to do business faster, engage with their clients, provide better services, and find new customers. Salesforce customization is a really hot skill right now, so let's learn all about it and get right into the day. It's 7.30 in the morning on a Wednesday in Brooklyn, and Rude is starting his day with some sunlight, meditation, coffee, and the piano. After that, he's checking his emails from his clients and tenants because, well, if he doesn't now, he won't be able to until after work. He's that busy. Rude city bikes to his office and is at his desk by 9.45 a.m. Today, Rude's participating in a stand-up, sprint planning, code review, and collective and personal story tasks. Let's meet Rude and learn more about what he does. Hi, my name is Rude Erie. I'm a Salesforce architect. So a Salesforce architect works with different companies to create and design software systems that can help enable them to do business faster, engage with their customers, provide better customer service, and find new customers. So Salesforce is a, well, Salesforce is a company. The company itself, it has a platform and that platform is called force.com. So within force.com, you have all these different clouds that are built on top of force.com, the, the actual platform. And so what that platform represents is uh, they call it a multi-tenant architecture, which is basically a whole bunch of data centers that are used by all of Salesforce's customers. And they basically share that pool of resources of computing power and that kind of thing. And within Salesforce, when you become a Salesforce customer, you're given an instance of Salesforce, which is basically like... A uh, an office in an office building. So you're given a suite and whatever you can do, whatever you want in that suite. Salesforce has. So when you're building an app, you're building an app for your particular suite. So you're adding an office that's a studio. You're adding an office that's a, you know, that's for accounting or something like that. So you're building all of these different applications for your specific business and for your specific processes. Now, if you wanted to be a product vendor on Salesforce, you'd be creating something for other customers in other offices to be able to use. Gotcha. Yeah. It's uh so it could kind of be comparable to 
like WordPress plugins in a sense. Yeah, uh, kind, exactly. Kind of like that. Yep, okay, or, cool. yep, or Apple with the you know App Store and that awesome, kind of thing. Awesome. Yep. So Apple iOS would be the would be force.com and then the apps on top of it would either be built by you or they'd be built by third party vendors. And so Salesforce has these different offerings. They have Sales Cloud, they have Service Cloud, they have Commerce Cloud, they have you know the Philanthropy Cloud, Financial Cloud, and all of these different offerings that are built on Force.com. So where Apex comes into play is that if you want to create a custom application on the Force.com platform, you would use Apex to create that application. So Visual Force, where Visual Force comes into play, is Visual Force is almost is like an HT, a specialized HTML. Where like if you want to build custom pages, you know, custom functionality and that kind of thing within force.com, you would use visual force to display how the, the, like control the view of your application. It's, it's still a coding language. It's more view based. So it's not apex would be like the business processes when this information comes in. This is what I want you to do or I want you to run these functions and calculate uh, prices for these things or that kind of stuff. Whereas Visual Forces, this is how I want you to display the data. There's two versions of Salesforce right now. Classic, which is very popular in the market, and Salesforce Lightning, the newest version. In Rude's opinion, he believes Salesforce Lightning is the way forward because it allows users to create component-based applications. The reason why is because it um, allows you to create component-based applications. And what that means is that Instead of just building a general page that's showing, you know, different pieces of information, what you can do is you can actually create different components and then use them across your mobile apps, your website, internally within your Salesforce org. And so you can actually what that allows you to do is that allows you to plug and play. Like once you write these components out, you can then drag and drop them. You can have an admin drag and drop them to different pages and that kind of thing. And so they are self-contained pieces of uh, functionality that you can then use anywhere. Now that we got the basics, let's get back to the day. It's 9.45 and Rude's attending the morning standup, which is a part of the agile process. It's a meeting where the team can check in and get aligned and updated on the progress and roadblocks of the current sprint that they're in. A sprint is a defined amount of time to achieve certain goals. The roles that make up Rude's team are admins, developers, and people like Rude, the architects. Along with his stakeholders, Root and his team work together to create the final product or deliverables for his clients. Every person in that Salesforce instance plays a key role in keeping the org going. So uh, the development side kind of works with different departments, different business departments to figure out what are the business processes needed in order to be able to help close more sales, find more deals, provide better customer service. So an admin would be is kind of like a principal in a school. So they basically they they manage the actual Salesforce instance itself. They work with executives to manage permissions, who's allowed to see certain data across the org, who's allowed to access certain features and that kind of thing. They also help manage what pages users are allowed to see. And I've seen admins also be used to help manage customers uh, as well, like different customer orgs. So to be a really good developer, you kind of have to be a good admin. You have to be a better admin than the admins because when things break, you have to be able to know, is this something that I need to go into the code to fix? Or is this something that I can, you know, find within the settings and uh, the setup in order for me to be able to 
you know, to manage. So you have to be, you have to kind of be aware of both sides, both sides of it. Whereas not on the, on the admin side, they'll be able to know fairly quickly if it's a code issue, whereas, and then they pass it off to a developer to be able to handle that for them. Where I'd say being an architect differs from, you know, being a developer is an architect has to have a solid understanding of the different businesses and the sales goals and the different goals of the company and the the markets that the company is in. So understanding that allows them to be able to provide the right designs for, you know, for for the applications. And then the developers would then go in and implement that strategy. Another aspect of architecture that's uh, slightly different that that's different from the developers I would say would be understanding all of the different systems that are you, that come into play when it comes to the application itself so I think that would probably be yeah the the application design understanding the business and then also working with the executives to provide the right guidance in terms of based on based on their business based on their current application and how things are organized. And then based on what their strategic goals are, like what they're trying to do, what they need to do in order for them to reach their goals, that's where the uh, the architect comes into play. It's now 1030. The standup has ended and Root is reviewing code and open merge requests. So usually around that time, let's say uh, a developer has submitted, you know, has submitted some code and that kind of thing. My my job is then to review that code to make sure. So we one of the processes, you know, at every company that I work at, I always try to make sure that um, there are processes, processes and guidelines in place to keep everything uniform. So there's always like a style guide that I, I, you know, that I provide or that I follow in order to make sure that, you know, code is written in such a way to make it easy to read and easy to manage so that over time it becomes more of an asset than, you know, something that, oh, I don't want to go in there because yeah. everything's a mess. Gotcha. You know? Okay. So have you ever gone to developers and been like, I can't look at this yet until you yeah, so code the, it in yeah, a so certain that, way? Okay, right. So cool. there's, there's a, that's actually part of the process of reviewing the code because you want to look at, you know, what's being written, how it's being written, and you want to understand the thought process behind it. So that way you can make sure that when you approve for that code to be added to, you know, added to the product, that you're able to, uh, that it's, you know, the code that's not going to break anything else or something that is able to be extended later in the future, which it probably will be, you know. So a merge request in Git, which is the which is like a version control software that you use uh, when you're writing code, and what Git provides is like an opportunity for you to manage your code and share your code with different developers, and then not have it all get messed up. So basically, when you're writing you when you're writing code, you have like a master branch that contains all of your you know all your code in its most most recent and most stable state. And then from there, you can kind of branch, create your own instance of that code and branch off. And so the what a merge request represents is when you're bringing that code that the developer has written back into the master branch. Okay. So now you're creating a you're new version of the master. Them. Yeah, Literally so you're merging, merging them. them. Yep. <laughs> All right, cool. It's now 11.15 and Root is focused on sprint planning, making sure his team is on schedule, and working out logistics for future sprints. There are times when parties don't agree on how to go about certain things, but Root says that that's inevitable. What's important to remember when navigating disagreements is finding a middle ground. 
kind of have to understand these different parties are your customers. So you have to understand what the what it is that these customers want and then kind of work with them to find a middle ground about, you know, what it, what are the things that can be done and what can't be done within that space. It's always about at the end of the day, everyone wants to be successful. You know, you want to build a great company and stuff. So how do we get past the personal side of things to go in and build, you know, build the best product possible? Our, our team is absolutely fantastic because we do work like a well-oiled machine because everyone shares the same vision. Product gives us the direction and the 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 visual representations of what they actually need built. And then it's our job to work with them to let them know these are the technical limitations. These are the things that can be done. This is what can be done within this current sprint. You know, maybe the task is too big for two or three week sprint or something like that. So you want to be, so that's where the compromise comes in because you have to, maybe it's something that needs to be broken down into over a course of several sprints. And in uh, in Agile, that's called an epic. An epic is a task that takes more than one sprint to complete. Mm -hmm. And a story would be like a task that can be done within one sprint. So it's like a unit of an epic. I mean, the best way to solve a problem is before there is one. And so in the sprint planning phase, we can kind of, we have a good perspective on, you know, what can be done, what's possible within, you know, our allotted amount of time. And so we, you know, we'll we'll be a little bit more conservative on about the tasks that we take on because it's never it's never bad if we complete the task early and then pick up some new work from so that that was going to be done in the next sprint. But it's always, it, you know, but it kind of sucks if you, you know, planned on getting things done and you didn't get it done. So we try to make sure that we manage the workload before in the planning phase. So that way we can deliver the things that we need to. But anytime, I mean, communication and being transparent is extremely important. And so communicating with the stakeholders and letting them know what the challenges are and telling them that these are, you know, what, what you know, what we can deliver. I think a lot of times the the teams are okay as long as you're open and transparent. The last thing your stakeholders, your customers, or your clients want is last minute news. So the sooner you know, the sooner you should be telling them. Noon meets lunch for some people, but not for Rude. He takes this time to write out the technical tasks that need to get done so progress can be tracked. Rude's not allowed to get into specifics of the tasks he's working on, but generally... It's always important to create all the new the new tasks so that way we can get accountability and visibility on the work that's being done and so you know it can it it can range from whether it's my responsibility to provide new designs you know for apis or something like that or to uh, write tasks that require extending lightning components or writing you know writing certain apex code or that kind of thing or and it's either writing the the stories for that or the technical stories for that or i'm actually just working on those particular tasks that I've assigned to myself. On the business side, usually if I'm writing, you know, a set of stories for like my offshore team or something like that, a lot of times I've already met with, you know, with met with my clients and I understand, you know, what their different needs are. So then from there, I can kind of break down what, you know, what are the things that I need to get built? Like I remember I had a, you know, a client a manufacturing company. They wanted me to build a new page that allowed them to be able to have their, uh, this form that they use to be mobile friendly for them. And then they wanted, so that way the, the sales people can be on their cell phones and be able to put in data regarding a deal or place a sample order or that kind of thing. And so 
when I was writing stories for that particular task, what I did was, you know, I broke down first, I need a component. Uh, we need components that can do this, this, and this. And then from there, I would kind of get specific with the actual technical requirements that I needed to have. I needed to have validation so the user can't type in, you know, a whole bunch of nonsense and it, and the record actually gets saved. I want to make sure that if the user goes back to that particular record and they saved, you know, they saved the record, but they wanted to edit it, that all of the information is still displayed within the field so they don't have to retype it. I want to make sure that the page itself is able to fit on a smaller screen and then and actually look in a way that actually makes sense for the user so it's responsive. So those, you know, so things like that, like actually breaking down the granular tasks that actually need to be done. So that way when I, you know, I can't look over their shoulder, but what I can do is I can, you know, hold them accountable to these deliverables. And as long as that gets delivered, then, you know, everything's okay. 2 p.m. rolls around and it's time for lunch. Root fasts in the morning, so it's his first meal of the day. So you know it's going to be a good one. At 2.45, Rude's on to more development slash engineering work. Can you kind of paint a picture of what you look like when you're in the zone, when you're doing engineering work, writing code? You head down in the computer all the time, headphones in, music yeah, maybe? Pretty like, much. Paint that picture for sure. us. So, so I'm on my machine. I have, you know, two, I have two main monitors and then my laptop monitor. So I use all three. I usually, I'm usually writing code. On, on one while I have my Salesforce instance in the other, maybe to see, you know, what it is that I'm building and that kind of stuff. Other times I might be, you know, I always got some headphones in and, you know, either listening to music, maybe listening to a podcast or something, helping me to stay focused. Another part of my role is, you know, mentoring and um, helping, you know, helping my other, my, the engineers on my team. And so sometimes if they're blocked, I will, you know, sit down with them and review the code, do some pair programming, uh, help them solution out the things that I've assigned to them. And then I would say the, the other aspect would be the, you know, either other different different planning meetings or different technical meetings, because, you know, in any any enterprise company that you work for is going to have different engineering, different departments within engineering or different teams within engineering. And sometimes, you know, we have to collaborate with those teams. And so, you know, I'll meet with those stakeholders to be able to let them know what we're planning or what our needs are in order for us to be able to, you know, get things done within our current sprint. And you're no distractions during this time, right? I mean, yeah, usually. Phones off, like. Uh, so I, I'll still take, you know, I'll still take text messages or something like that, but I try to keep my phones on silent. And so unless, you know, something like I actually see the phone, if, unless I actually see the phone like light up mm -hmm. or something like that, I might not know that, a you know, a call came in or right. something like that. But yeah, so it, it's most of the time it's, you know, because what we're doing, uh, what, what we're measured on is what we deliver at the end of our sprint. You know, our, our development hours are it's the nine to five, but it's also, you know, if you got to do something outside of work, like if you have something that, you know, you, you needed to go to a doctor's appointment or something like that, you know, you take your laptop home with you and you, you, you know, you finish up when you can and that kind of thing. So it's a it's a high trust environment because we at the end of the day, you want to be able to work with people you, that, that you trust and people that you know that are going to do what they say that they're going to do and can deliver on time. So I want to just ask a little bit how you work with these sprints right so you have you have a set task that you want to get done right mm -hmm. is it in your head like and I get I get that there's stories and then there's like longer term projects but like are you the type of person like you start something you can't go home until you finish it or do you ever like 
stop a project, stop working and say, all right, I'm going to come back tomorrow and finish. This. Yeah, so. it's actually in, in programming, it's actually really healthy to take a break sometimes, come back to your task, because what happens is, is sometimes you get so wrapped up in what you're doing that, you know, taking a break, you know, taking a walk and, you know, grabbing a coffee or something like that or, you know, playing foosball or getting a massage or something, you, you can, you, you know, you come back and you're, you're refreshed. So you have a, you're able to look at whatever you've been working on with a different perspective. I would say that that's definitely an important, that's something that I've learned to do a lot more. Uh, other times, you know, what needs to be done. Like I can, you know, I can pretty much, I, I pretty much know what I need to do when I'm working on something. So it's just a matter of going through the steps of actually writing that code and building building those processes and that kind of thing. So when I get in that kind of zone, I usually just keep going and keep going and keep going until I feel like, okay, I you know, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm good now. But My brain's buzzing. Yeah. Like, but yeah. a lot of times too, I mean it's a lot of fun coding when building these things and seeing the things that you're building, you know, come to life. And so, you know, the I don't really spend much time keeping track of, you know, how long, you know, how long I'm at my desk. It's really more about making sure that, you know, whatever other things I have in my schedule, if I have, you know, so it, it, it I could keep going, you know, for as long as I need to, as long as it, as long as it continues to be fun and engaging. And it usually is. You got to do what you got to do to finish the stories assigned to you for your team's sprint. It's now 5 p.m. and part of the agile process is to have an end of the day check in. So with that, we just check in. I give updates to my team regarding what's been done, what may be coming up tomorrow, what I've run into, maybe results of certain meetings that have happened throughout the day. And so that allows uh, them to anticipate what the new tasks might be tomorrow or where, you know, where things might pivot. Because, you know, the other thing about Agile is being able to be flexible and nimble as things come in. And so you want to be able to let the team anticipate all of the different changes that might come in. Maybe we get a new design. Maybe we um, maybe we talk to, you know, maybe we have like a, a new opportunity that we need to focus on or something like that. So that's that's usually what the 5 p.m. check-in is for. So people may be leaving, but you're still wrapping things up by 6.30. Mm -hmm. Is that usually when you're out of the office? Yeah, usually, uh, usually 6.37, even later sometimes too. But um, I usually try to, a lot of times the office gets quieter after you know after five-ish or something like that you know there's still there's still always you know a few teams and stuff that are there working on you know, their other tasks but so a lot of times you know the either the developers have left already and that kind of thing so it allows me to you know focus on something that I'm working on without you know having to you know have any meetings that I have to bounce and bounce back and forth with and that kind of stuff so the day is over at 7 p.m. on this particular day for Rude, but as he mentioned earlier, the time he leaves depends on what needs to be done for the day to stay on track with the current sprint or get started on tasks for the next sprint. My job doesn't finish when I leave the office. I mean, my sister yells at me all the time for how much, <laughs> you know, how much I'm working and that kind of thing. And so it's it's one of those things where, like, I, I'm very, very passionate about technology. If I wasn't, you know, working full time, I would still be doing what I'm doing now. You know what I mean? So it's, for me, it's, it's something it's about working with companies that are also passionate about, you know, they're passionate about your passion. You know what I mean? That want to encourage you and nurture you and help you build, you know, and go out and, you know, do great things. There's a lot of times where, you know, sometimes, you know, just coming in and just doing your job is enough. And to me, that's not that's not 
what gets you, you ahead. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? That's not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just doing doing just enough isn't isn't enough. You right. know what I mean? You really have to go out there and, you know, find ways yourself. You know what I mean? Because uh, not every opportunity is going to be, you know, not every opportunity is just going to be handed to you. So you really have to go out there and see what are the different things that you can do to be able to continuously add value. And then the other thing, too, is that that experience, you know, over time just becomes a, you know, an incredible asset for you. You can then, you know, anytime you're speaking to a new customer or a new client or a new employer, you know, you can speak confidently to let them know that these are the things that you've seen. These are the things that you know, and these are the things that you've done to be able to help them reach their goals. So you just experienced a day in the life of a Salesforce technical architect, but how does one actually become a Salesforce technical architect? In part two of the UseTheForce.com series, join us as we go through Rude's career journey and experiences leading up to where he is today. Rude's always found a way to find opportunity at any job in any industry, from video editing in Hollywood to the poker table at Mohican Sun Casino to where he is today. Let's see how he did it so you can too. Stay tuned. At Experience a Day in the Life, we're building an online library of content all focused on a diddle or a day in the life of different jobs and professions across the world in all different industries. So if you want to share your a diddle, you can do so at xadiddle.com slash share dash my dash a diddle. That's x-a-d-i-t-l dot com slash share dash my dash a-d-i-t-l. Thanks for listening. Head over to exadiddle.com. That's X-A-D-I-T-L.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at exadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bow and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.